we have been uh, considering the priesthood of Christ. This is actually our last time um, looking at the priesthood of Christ. I think we've had uh, maybe three uh, on the priesthood of Christ, maybe two or three. And we've been looking at a lot of things, how Christ is um, the the fulfillment and the better of the Levitical priests. Then we considered Melchizedek and Christ's relationship to him and how Christ is, again, the greater Melchizedek. And then last time we were together, we looked at what it, what it means for Jesus to be um, or to make intercession for us. Um, and I hope that you uh, got a lot out of that um, as we considered uh, that great doctrine. We're going to kind of... Uh, continue along those lines of Christ being better um, than, you know, his, his the, the previous Old Testament priests. And again, saints, what we're arguing is the ascension of Christ. So when Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, um, his priestly work does not end, but it continues. And it continues through the church. Hey, Isaac, can you close that door? Um, so... That is essentially what we're going to argue, and that is going to be the last point, is how does Christ's priestly office, his priestly work, how does it continue in and through the church? Okay? Just like we, we, we considered last time, um, when we were in, when we were considering Christ, uh, and his prophetic office, and how his prophetic office extends to the church. So, this evening, again, we're going to look at how Christ is better and fulfills the Old Testament priesthood, and also how his priestly office extends to us. Okay, and much of these uh, that we're going to consider, we've already touched upon, uh, so we don't have to actually consider them, but I will name them. Um, you can go back and listen to them. Jesus Christ uh, fulfills the Old Testament priesthood in three ways. Number one, Jesus ministers as a better priest in his person. Number two, Jesus serves in a better place, that is the heavenly tent. And number three, Jesus performs better priestly actions. So number one, Jesus uh, ministers as a better priest in his person. Number two, serves in a better place, the heavenly tent or tabernacle. And number three, Jesus performs better priestly actions. Number one, Jesus ministers as a better priest in his person, as a better priest in his person. And here what we're really considering is Jesus Christ, who he is, and who the Old Testament priests were. And we're talking about as far as their being goes. Okay? Who Christ is, and who the Old Testament priests were, or are, rather. At Christ's ascension... Uh, we see that Jesus Christ as priest takes on a unique role and that Jesus is no longer merely an earthly priest, but he is a heavenly priest. So his priesthood transitions from an earthly priest now toward a heavenly priest. And the heavenly priesthood of Jesus must be seen from two angles. Number one, Jesus is a priest in our flesh or a heavenly priest in our flesh. And Jesus is an exalted heavenly priest. So he's a priest in our flesh and he's an exalted priest. Let's consider number one. Jesus as a priest in our flesh. 
someone was to ask you, is Jesus Christ still the God-man, what would you say? Is he still uh, united, rather, is the eternal son still united to a human nature? Is he still very man as very man, as well as very God of very God? Well, we have to say, in order for us to be right, correct, orthodox, and not be heretics, that yes, Jesus Christ, even right now as I am speaking, is still the God-man. That Jesus Christ is still, in heaven, human. Now, one of the debates that uh, Brother Bobby, who's sitting right here, likes to always uh, uh, bug me with, is how in the world is Jesus, who has a human body, in a non-spatial place? Like heaven. I have no idea. Um, I was hoping to eventually answer that. Maybe I will. Um, but I don't think I'll get very far. Because I have no idea. It's a mystery. But we have to say that when Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, He does not leave His humanity on earth. Again, when Jesus Christ, the eternal Son, who is truly man as well, when he ascends to the right hand of the Father, he does not leave his humanity at someone's front doorstep. But rather, he remains human. Now, this is very, very good news for us. Good news for us. Christ didn't stop being human. But rather, we can say that at the ascension of Christ, or the ascension of Jesus, was the ascent of a man. The God-man, Jesus Christ. So the ascension, the ascent of Christ, to get more specific, was the ascent of man. The ascent of the God-man, Jesus Christ. Okay? In other words, we have our flesh in heaven. We have our flesh in heaven. And this is important with regard to our Lord's priestly work. Remember, saints, that one of the requirements for the priesthood, for those who are to be priests, was that the priest was to be among the people. The priest was to be among the people. That doesn't necessarily mean, well, I mean, to a certain extent it does, but they had to be from a specific region, but rather the priest had to be bone of our bone, and flesh of the people. So, could a dog be a priest for the behalf of humans? No. An alien, if they exist, which they do not, um, could not be a priest on the behalf of the people. And if Jesus removes his humanity when he ascends to the right hand of the Father, where he is merely now just God, but not the God-man, then can we say, is he really a priest for humanity, even now? Again, if Christ and his ascension removes his humanity, he ascends, can we say, now him in heaven is our great high priest? One theologian says, the ascent did not dissolve the importance of the physical existence of Jesus, nor the importance of the incarnation. And I would add, it extends the importance of the hypostatic union. Hypostatic union, simply put, is the eternal son assuming human flesh. 
It extends. The, asc- the ascension shows that Jesus is a better priest than the Old Testament priest, for he's an everlasting priest. And this gets into Jesus is an exalted priest. Again, with the first point, it was important for Christ to be very man of very man so that he can intercede for man. Now, Christ is an exalted priest. When Jesus ascended into heaven, although he is still man, his body was exalted and elevated to be in heaven. Again, Christ as man. So you have to think of, think of it like this. How can man enter heaven? For instance, can you right now, with your body, enter heaven? No, you can't. But Christ could. Now, how could Christ enter heaven and not we? It's because his body has been exalted. His body has been elevated. And this gets into Christ as the exalted priest again. When Jesus Christ entered heaven, he entered heaven with a body that was fit for heaven. Again, when Christ, Jesus Christ entered heaven, he entered heaven with a body, the same body that we have now, material substance, that was fit for heaven. He entered heaven with his transformed body. Paul tells us in Philippians 3.21, who will transform the body of our lowly condition into conformity with his glorious body. This is the great um, future for us, right? That our lowly body will be done away with and will conform into his glorious body. So what? So that we can be fit to enter heaven. That is why. You know, people like to think, well, what I have at that glorious moment, six-pack abs, will I have, will I be six foot five? You know, Anthony, will he finally have those big legs he wants? Um, that's a joke among the men. He's always doing legs. Um, so, no, that's not what it means. We have to think of, of what physically we will have, uh, but rather who we will be like. And that is, we will be like Jesus Christ. We will have a body fit to be in heaven. <clears throat> and saints, if someone was to ask you, again, what will heaven, what, what will we be like in heaven? The answer you ought to give is, look at the humanity of Jesus Christ. If someone was to ask you, what will we be like? Look at Christ. Specifically, look at his humanity. What has happened to Christ's humanity at his at his resurrection and ascension. It transformed, it changed. It was elevated. This is why Jesus says to the disciples in John 8, 21, where I am going, you cannot come. They could not come because they were not fit to be where he was. Simply put, our bodies have not been made new, nor have we conquered death like Jesus. You see, saints, I remember uh, a brother here asking me, well, uh, why can't we just go to heaven now? Why can't we 
taste, or rather, why can't the, the consummation of all things uh, uh, intrude into the present and where we don't have to die? And I think a lot of, about that question, and when you consider uh, what many of the theologians have said throughout time, uh, the common answer is that Christ is the great exemplar of the faith. And we live the way that Christ lived, or rather we're called to live the way Christ lived, and we are to die the same way Christ died. That doesn't mean that we're all to be crucified. But what that means is we are to have a body and soul separation. The same way Christ had a body and soul separation at the moment of death, we are to undergo that as well. Why? So that just like Christ, we can be raised to new life. One theologian says, Jesus did not adorn himself. This this is actually really wonderful. Jesus did not adorn himself. Jesus did not put on his, uh, uh, adorn himself with humanity to simply discard it. He adorned himself with humanity so that he might make perfect humanity as our true high priest. Again, Jesus is not, the eternal son does not assume human flesh just to use it for 33 years and then remove it. He assumes human flesh so that he can take our flesh and take it to the place where Adam failed. He takes us to where Adam was supposed to take us. He elevates us. He makes us fit to be with him. This is very steeped in Christian tradition, tradition, that the eternal son became man so that man's nature will be elevated. So that's man's nature, that you as human uh, 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 can change. doesn't mean that you stop being human, but you become what humanity was destined to be. That's what it means. You become, in many ways, truly human. The eternal Son, Jesus Christ, became man in order to take man's nature to a place where Adam failed to take it. Adam was to, Adam was to take our nature, he was to take humanity, and move it toward a glorious, immutable state. But he failed. So what needs to happen then? The eternal Son does not come and take on the nature of a dog. He doesn't come and take on the nature of an angel, but rather he takes on the nature of man so that man can be raised. The great church father, Irenaeus, says, the word of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who did through his transcendent love become what we are, that he might bring us to even be what he is himself. Glorious. The Westminster Confession, rather, the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 39. Why was it requisite that the mediator should be man? In other words, why should the eternal son be man? Why should he be human? Answer, it was requisite that the mediator should be man, that he might advance our nature. He might take us where Adam failed to take us and make us fit to a place where Adam was to make us fit for. That is heaven. This is great news for us, that Jesus Christ is our great and everlasting high priest whose intercession for us will never run out. 
because his humanity has been elevated, has been exalted, and now is immutable. Christ can never die again. Our great high priest is not like the priests of earth who interceded through the weakness of his flesh, but he ministers continually in the power of his resurrection. Let's consider the second point, and that is Jesus serves in a better place, and that is the heavenly tent. Jesus serves in a better place. We have seen Christ, priest, related to his better person, now better place. Not only does Jesus minister as a better priest after the ascent, because he has been granted a better body, but he serves in a better place. One theologian says the ascension is not merely removal from a place, but also to a place. Meaning the ascension, at Christ's ascension, when he goes to the right hand of the Father, he leaves one place and goes really to another place. I can't explain to you what heaven is and what it is like. But it is a place. And that's where Christ went. So you can think of Christ moving from one location to the next. One lowly condition to a glorious one. Jesus Christ, as our high priest, has entered into the heavenly tabernacle. He's entered into the heavenly tabernacle. Just as the priest in the Old Testament was to enter into the tabernacle or tent to present to God the sacrifice on the behalf of the people, Jesus has entered into the heavenly tabernacle. But not to present a dead animal. You see, Jesus doesn't go into heaven with a barrel of lambs behind him or, 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 or wheeling in. He doesn't go in the heavenly, heaven, ta- heavenly tabernacle with uh, uh, the finest of, of bull uh, blood. But rather, Jesus Christ enters into the very throne room of God. He does not offer a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. He offers himself. And this heavenly tabernacle is what the he- writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 8.2, is a, is a true tent. And then he says in Hebrews 9.11, it's a more perfect tent. What, what is the writer of Hebrews doing when he's talking about the tabernacle and tent in heaven being true and perfect? But what he's doing is, he's contrasting it to the Old Testament tabernacle. Not to say that the Old Testament tabernacle wasn't sufficient, but it wasn't perfect. Now, saints, why is the heavenly tabernacle true and more perfect? Hebrews 8.2, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, and here it is, which the Lord set up, not man. You see, the Old Testament tents and tabernacles were set up by the hands of man. The heavenly tabernacle is set up by the Lord himself. This heavenly tabernacle is described in Hebrews 9.11, not made with hands. You see, friends, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was set up for many reasons. And one of the primary reasons was for God to dwell amongst his people. But there was also a separation between God and the people. 
when the tabernacle was on earth. The people of God were not allowed inside the tabernacle, inside the very holies of holies, except only the priests. Only the priests could go. But Jesus Christ, the God-man, our great high priest, and here's what all of we've talked about now comes into play, in our flesh, as man, man, unless they were holy, could not enter the tabernacle, but Christ, as man, in our flesh, enters into the true tabernacle. Christ, in our flesh, has entered into the holy of holies, the highest of heaven. And what this means, saints, is that the barrier between God and man has been torn down. That man, by faith in Christ, can approach God. You see, in the Old Testament, the Israelites needed a mediator, needed the priest in order for them to approach God. They couldn't go inside themselves. Here what we're saying is, we can go inside the Holy of Holies ourselves. Because we're united to one who is holy, who is the holiest of the holy, and that is Christ. That man can approach God. This is why Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. Let's consider the last point, and that is Jesus performs better priestly actions. Now, there's three priestly actions that Christ performs on the behalf of his people. One was to present the sacrifice. So a priest is to present the sacrifice. The second is the priest is to make intercession. And we've already considered those two. We're going to focus on this third action, which is the priest is to bless the people with a benediction. So the priest um, uh, was to present the sacrifice, make intercession, and then present a blessing a benediction to the people. This is the goal of the priest. This is the telos. This is the uh, the end game of the priest. And that is to present a blessing, pronounce a blessing to the people of God. After making, uh, after presenting the sacrificing, uh, sacrifice and making intercession, the priest would come out from the tent and he would pronounce a blessing upon the people. He would lift up his hands. We read this in uh, Leviticus 9, verses 22-23. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them, and he stepped down after making the sin offering and burnt offering and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. So again, Aaron goes out, and Aaron's really just following Moses. I mean, this is a tradition um, that we even now as elders do, um, following the great tradition of those priests in the Old Testament at the very end of the sermon. Priest comes out, lifts up their hands, presents the blessing. But what we see of Jesus is this, that Jesus Christ... 
He's a greater high priest, or he's a greater priest than the one of the Old Testament. But he's also the greater Aaron. He's the greater Aaron who extends his hands over the people and gives them peace through the Holy Spirit. And this is important to note, saints, that Jesus not only gives the ironic blessing, but he fulfills the blessing as well. You see, Aaron blessed the people, but Christ fulfills the blessing of the people or to the people. That is to say, Jesus now not only declares peace to us, his people, but he fulfills the true peace that the priests in the Old Testament could never give. See, the priests all the time were blessing the people and giving them peace. But Jesus fulfills the very climax and apex and fulfillment of that peace that the Old Testament priests were pronouncing to the people. Kelly Capek says, well, this is beautiful. The great high priest, who is Christ, came and not only pronounced the benediction, but he became the benediction. Wonderful observation, is it not? I mean, I wish I came up with that. We no longer, here, we, us, saints of God here, we no longer long for the peace that is promised in the benediction, but rather we look to He who is peace Himself. Again, saints, we don't long for the peace promised in the benediction as the Old Testament saints did, but rather we look to a person who is peace for us. He's peace himself. This is great news for us. That our priest doesn't, our peace doesn't come through the priest who represents God. But our peace comes by God himself in the flesh. That we don't need a priest to present peacely blessings to us. Although we do that, but ultimately, we look to Christ. And what me and Pastor Antonio and all the elders and pastors do at the benediction is they take what is Christ's and they give it to the people. This is yours. So Christ, as our great high priest, when he declares a blessing of peace upon his people, he's ultimately giving himself to them. That's what Christ is doing at the benediction. He's giving um, himself to us. And in union with him, by the Spirit, we have peace with the Father. Now, as we come to a close, how does Christ's priestly work extend to us? And this gets into uh, the doctrine of what's called the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. I'm not going to get into the historical background, because what you'll find, if you look it up, that there was a big debate among the Reformation concerning the priesthood of all believers and the medieval church uh, and what many in the uh, uh, Roman Catholic Church were saying uh, concerning the priest and tradition and whether or not the people of God were able to read, interpret, and imply the scriptures themselves. Um, I won't get into that, but... 
we will consider the priesthood of all believers just broadly speaking um, very quickly. J.B. Fesco defines this doctrine like this. The doctrine of the priesthood of all believers states that all believers in Christ share in his priestly status. So if you're in Christ, you share in all that is Christ. Essentially, that's what it's saying. Therefore, there is no special class of people who mediate the knowledge, presence, and forgiveness of Christ to the rest of the believers. That's what the medieval church believed. That you need special priests to do certain things like read the scriptures and all that. And all believers have the right and authority to read, interpret, and apply the teachings of scripture. We read that there was a select group of priests in the Old Testament who mediated the knowledge, presence, and forgiveness of God to the people of Israel. But as we have been seeing through our studies, Jesus Christ has come and fulfilled the priestly role through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus was the final priestly mediator between God and the people, and Christians, through union with Christ, share in that role. They share in Christ's priestly office. Now, where do we find this doctrine in Scripture? Consider two texts with me. The first is 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Within the context of Peter's statement, he rests the church identity as a royal priesthood in their union with Christ. In other words, because you are united to Christ, you get also Christ's offices. You participate in those offices. The church, therefore, is the fulfillment of what Israel was supposed to be. Again, consider with me, or not again, but consider with me what God says in Exodus 19.6. He's telling the people of God there, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. And a holy nation. These are the words that I shall speak to the sons of Israel. Again, God is telling Israel, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And again, God says that to Israel, but look what Peter says to us, the church. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. What this means is the church, through Christ, is the fulfillment of Israel's role. And that is a kingdom of priests in the world. This is why, saints, practically speaking, the church is never to conform to the world's ideas. The church is never to conform to the world's teachings never to use the world's language, and never to use the world's philosophies. Because we are the fulfillment of Israel. Christ is true Israel, therefore we are true Israel. And if Jesus, if God says to us that we are a royal priesthood, if we are a holy nation, if we are to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, then the best thing for the church to do in this day and age is simply to be the church. That's it. 
This is what separates us from the world. That we are a rural, a rural uh, uh, royal priesthood. The second text, and in closing, Revelation 5.10, You have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Believers united to Christ share in all that he is and does, and in this case, they share in his priestly office. Now, in closing, as priests here on earth, there are many duties that we have. But one of the duties that we find repeatedly in Scripture is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The priests in the Old Testament were to present a dead sacrifice to God. And here Paul tells us, as priests here on earth, we are to present a living sacrifice to God. And what God does, or rather what Christ does for us, and we read this last time we were together, is Christ takes our worship, puts it in his palm, and he presents it to the Father as a pleasing aroma to him. So saints... This is uh, uh, our great high priest who is Christ. Praise God for what he has done and continues to do for us. And also, too, praise God that we can share uh, in, in Christ's role um, as, as being priests here on earth. Let's pray.